been leading in church now for over 30 years, and I, I think one of the areas that is not taught well in the church is finances. And I've heard finances taught really badly, and I've heard finances taught really well. So I hope this morning I'm going to do my best to teach it well. So I'd like to start with a portion of Scripture that I think has often been used really poorly in the church, and you've probably heard this already. But I'm going to start here and then end in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians and hopefully really encourage you in terms of biblical giving. So let's start then. We're going to dig a hole, and the hole is going to start in Malachi chapter 3. Verse 6 says this. It'll come up on the screen. It says, God speaking, I, the Lord, do not change, since you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from our decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere, mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for you to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. How many of you in the church have heard this preached before? Okay, well, I hope you're going to hear it differently preached this morning. So here we go. Wherever we want to understand what the Bible says, context is always king. We have to ask, why has this been written? Whom is this being written to? And what is it trying to teach us now? Helen used to, we had 40 leaders away this week, and Helen used the thing of hermeneutics, is that actually when we try and understand the Bible, we're on this side of the river, 2,000 years into the future, but on this side of the river here is where the Bible was written, and we have to step over the river, try and understand the context of what was happening then and why it was written, and then step back over the river and apply it to our lives now. All right? So context is always king. Why was, was Malachi written? Well, at this point in Israel's history, Malachi, Malachi is written because the Israelites are in exile. They're not doing well. And they really, as a people, have backslidden a whole lot. And the main people that this letter is addressed to are the priests, the Levites. God is speaking to the priestly order, and he is rebuking them and asking them to call the people back to true worship. That's the context, all right? And the underlying theme of the, the big theme of Malachi is that the people of God have failed to live faithfully, and there were some major problems that Malachi addresses. There was, um, they had been questioning God's love for them. They were apathetic in worship. The religious leaders, the, the, the priests, had turned aside from giving the law to the people, and so they didn't even know what to do. They had dishonored marriage. There was a whole lot of divorce happening in, 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 amongst God's people. And they were accusing God of being unjust. So these are all the problems that 
Uh, Malachi is addressing in the first two chapters, and if you read the first two chapters, you'll see that that is true, and he deals with them in detail. And in particular, the Levites are rebuked, the priests, because they failed in their ministry to God's people. And that's what Malachi is trying to get them seeing. And then in the beginning of chapter 3, we, we read from verse 6, but the first six verses of Malachi, there's this prophetic word that comes, and Malachi says, actually, God is going to send a messenger to you, He's going to send Messiah to you, and Messiah is going to come, and he's going to purify the Levites. Should we read it together? This is what it says in verse 1. I will send my messenger. This is the prophetic word that Malachi brings to, to God's people. I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me, and suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord, prophesying of Messiah coming. Who can endure the, the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. He will sit as, refined, as a refiner's fire and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. This is God's word to, 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 to the priestly order. There's one coming, the king, the great Messiah, who is going to purify you like in fire. Yeah, this is the context of this thing of giving. It's in this context. And then he says, The Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. There will be a right way of giving. Part of the prophetic word. Yeah, I'm going to teach you how to give well, how to give correctly. And then he says, And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be accepted to the Lord as in days gone by, as in the former years. So Malachi in the third chapter begins with this prophetic message about the coming of the Lord Jesus. And more importantly, how the nation of Israel will be restored as the Lord comes to the temple and the people of his covenant. This is talking about the old covenant. It's talking about the people of Israel. Yes, very important to remember that. And it just says there in verse 4 how things are going to be restored. And so that is the context in which Malachi additionally brings another grievance and says, actually, guys, you, the God, God's people, the people of Israel, haven't been faithful in how you've been giving. And he uses this image of robbing and saying they've been withholding some of what they should have been giving to the temple and to the, the priests, uh, they've been withholding that. And it's, it's very interesting that all the tribes of Israel, their inheritance was the land that they were given. Do you remember that? All the, Israel, all the tribes got a portion of land. The Levites got no land. The priests didn't get any land. What the priests got was a tithe of the produce of the land of all the other tribes. That was their inheritance. That's why Malachi says, when you don't give, in this Old Testament context, when you don't give, you are robbing the priests of what is their inheritance that I promised them. And just as you have got land, each of the tribes, their inheritance is being robbed from them if, you don't, if you're not faithful. That's what he's saying to their people. All right? And so I've heard this preached really badly and incorrectly in a, me a number of contexts, and I, I, I'm not trying to accuse anyone, but I think it's really, really unhelpful. Because first and foremost, I've heard this preached as a scare tactic <laughs> in the church, and it carries with it the whip of pay or be cursed. I've heard it preached like that. Preachers, if you do not, if you want the, the devourer to be rebuked in your life, tithe. If you don't, 
you're going to pay. You ever heard a priest like that? I'm being a little bit overdramatic, but I have been at it. In other words, it's to try and control your wallet that the preacher says, tithe. Okay. Not helpful. And I hope you won't hear that <laughs> in this church. So what does that do? It produces two types of Christians. First of all, I just want to say, God does not give us a spirit of fear. God gives us a spirit of joy, love, peace, and a sound mind, right? In Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. There's no fear in Christ. So whenever we think about finances, there should be no fear about our future, about what it's called us to do, and about how he can provide for us. And I hope in our testimony as a church finances, you'll see that. We should not have any fear because God can do anything. Amen? And he does. He lavishes his blessing upon us. So, so it produces, first of all, a kind of Christian who's scared and thinks that, uh, that they, they're not going to please God if they don't give. And um, they, this type of Christian uh, feels that they don't ever can never give enough. And uh, if they're not wealthy, somehow God is not blessing them. Yep. You know, the Bible says that your wealth is not a measure of your spirituality. It's got nothing to do with how spiritual you are. There's this Old Testament kind of theology that's crept into the New Testament God, people of God that somehow if you are wealthy, it's an automatic sign that God has blessed you and that you are a spiritual person. I want to say absolute rubbish. By that logic, all the Russian oligarchs are the most spiritual people in the world. They are not. We've got to unlearn some things and relearn some things with grace at the center of our lives. Amen. And secondly, it produces a kind of Christian who um, is struggling and confused because they have given all that they can and their storehouse is still not full. And they're saying, what's wrong with me? God, how have I failed you? How have I failed? I've been faithful to your word. I've, I've given as much as I can. And still my storehouse is not full. You see, we, we can't live from this place. We need to unpack some things and relearn some things and learn what God wants to say to us. So I, I don't want to do that today. And I hope it's not going to produce this, this in you. I hope you're going to be free and full of joy. All right? As you think about your own life and your finances. So... Do you notice in this portion, though, that God, uh, what I do want to say is I want to land on 2 Corinthians and, and say this to you, that how we give faithfully as New Testament believers is when we give cheerfully, when we give sacrificially to the glory of God. That's how we give. We give cheerfully, sacrificially, regularly to the glory of God, and that's how we please Him. That's how we are faithful as New Testament believers with our finances. All right? And so God is faithful. Then that's what he, he, he wants to say to his people, even in the scripture of Malachi. You see, there's grace even in this portion. Do you notice right at the beginning, we, he, he begins by correcting his unfaithful people by reminding them that he is always faithful. Do you notice that? Verse 1. He says, I do not change, and because I do not change, you have not already been destroyed. He's reminding them, I'm a faithful God. And then he also, his, his great patience is expressed even further, and he carries on. And he says, ever since the time of your ancestors, they have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. But then his, his promise to them is, return to me, and I will return to you. Right in this portion, God is trying to woo his people back. He's trying to 
get them to come back. His kindness is calling them to repentance, to change. The grace of God is there right at the beginning. So God is patient and kind, and he reminds them, and he says, return. And then there's this, this, uh, this um, element of that they haven't been faithful, and the, the portion of, will a man rob God, you've robbed me in your tithes and offerings. And so I want to say again, in the old covenant, the tithe was given usually in the form of crops or animals, and given to the Levites, to the priests, as they did not have an inheritance of their own. And Numbers 18.21 says that to us. The Levites have given a tithe in Israel as their inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. And Numbers 18.24 says the same thing. For the tithe, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for their inheritance. And so, like I said, because they weren't giving generously, the priests did not have enough. And that's what God is saying they needed to repent of. But he graciously does this. He calls them back to their repentance and to fulfilling what he's called them to do. And then he encourages them. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse so that they might be good in my house and thereby put me to the test. And the point is really is that they did have... Um, tithes to give, but they were withholding and weren't giving the full portion so that the priests could not enjoy their inheritance. And so I want to answer this question straight up because I get asked this all the time in the church uh, many over many years. Are we, com are we required under the New Testament covenant to tithe? This is what I get asked over and over again. I answer in this way. The New Testament nowhere specifically says that we are commanded to tithe. But it certainly does speak of tithing in a very positive way if we do it with the right attitude and the right heart. If you want to read Luke 11:42, you will see that quite clearly. And secondly, it's also important to understand that as a principle, tithing is, is not dependent on the law of Moses. And Hebrews says that, Hebrews 7 verse 5, explains that tithing was practiced and honored by God long before Moses ever gave the law to God's people. And so there was this principle of giving that was in the foundation of uh, God's people long before the law was ever given to them. The point that Malachi is making here is that the Lord promised his people that he would take care of them as they trusted him with their future. All right? That's the point that his Malachi is trying to make. And so there is the sense of faithfulness in God's people as we give. And uh, the laws and the covenant of the, of, the, of the Old Testament have passed away with all, all those requirements because of Jesus and what he's done for us. But it's still possible for, for us as New Testament believers not to be faithful in our giving and not to honor God in our giving. So... What, is, what, what does that look like for us as New Testament believers? I just simply want to put it as simply as I can. Faithful giving is remembering that God is the owner of everything in your life and you are the manager. Yes? God is the owner of everything in our lives and we are simply the stewards, the managers of the blessing that he has given us. One of the scriptures that um, transformed my life when I was preaching many years ago was James chapter 1 verse 17. I preached through James for about three years and it was a book that completely transformed me in terms of how I see God, grace, my life, and what I'm being called to do. And this beautiful start to James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift 
comes down to us from above. Coming down to us from the Father of lights, with whom there's no shadow of turning. Isn't that beautiful? Every good thing you have in your life, every good thing I have in my life is a gift that God has lavished upon me, and He does not change. He's always the same, and He blesses me day by day by day. Come on, that's worth getting excited about. Every good thing you have in your life is not because of your cleverness, not because you've worked hard. Those things are all important. I come from Africa where people, a lot of people are poor. And there's this thing that Western people have. Oh, people are poor because they don't work hard. <laughs> people are poor because they don't try hard enough. Absolute rubbish! You have had the privilege of a amazing education in a highly sophisticated Western culture. That's why you do well. Sorry, was that too strong? <laughs> That's why you do well. Not because I've known builders that work very hard all their lives and have never been rich and have struggled to provide for their families and love God with all of their hearts. Come on. It's not about just simple people don't try hard enough. No, we have to think a little bit more clearly about what we think and how we understand these things. Everything you have is a gift from God in order to bless you so that you can say, I'm blessed. I got the big house. I got the biggest house on the block. I got the Lamborghini and the Mercedes Benz and three other cars. I'm blessed. And many preachers in Nigeria and other places are exactly like that. I'm blessed! With my Armani suit and my three Mercedes Benzes, I'm blessed! No, the blessing's not for you. The blessing's for God's people. The blessing is to give away. The blessing is to share so that what you have can be a blessing to others. And I've learned this over the years, and if you don't like me after this, I'm sorry if it's tough, but <laughs> I've learned this over this. God loves to give to people he can trust. Do you know that? He'll give to those he can trust. And if he knows he can trust you with money, he'll give you money because he knows you're not going to hoard it, you're going to give it away. Am I being too strong, my darling? I, I, I know when I'm being too strong, Helen looks a bit nervous in the front seat. <laughs> cheerful giving. God wants cheerful, sacrificial giving to the kingdom of God. So let's go to the New, New Testament now and to look at 2 Corinthians verse nine, chapter 9, verse 6. says this, encouraging us now in a New Testament way, how do we give? Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Every one of us, people, every one of us must decide in his heart. Yep. You decide in your heart what you want to give, and what is the attitude? Not reluctantly. <laughs> oh God, you're so Good. Oh, I just can't write this check, but you're so good, God. I feel like I have to. 
<laughs> what kind of giving is that? Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Isn't that the point? Or I just want to encourage you, our giving is never motivated by love. It's never, um, always motivated by love and never by fear. Our giving is always motivated by compassion rather than greed. Or what about 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the first four verses? They, they clearly encourage us as New Testament believers that our giving should be regular. Regular giving. In other words, that it's planned. I found this. If you don't plan to give, you won't give. Why? Because in our culture, there's always a more worthy cause. There's always the whales that need to be saved. And we do need to save the whales, absolutely. There are donkeys in Turkey that need to be taken care of. I've seen adverts on TV. The donkeys with overgrown toenails that need to be cared for. There are, there, there are all, always, always another cause that is more worthy than God's kingdom. And if you don't plan to give to God's kingdom, it never gets done. There will always be something else. There will always be another activity for the children. There will always be another school trip. There will always, always, always be something else that gets in the way if you don't plan. And that's what Corinthians says. You've got a plan. Got to be regular. It has to be cheerful, proportional to your income. I'm going to speak to give you an amazing testimony in just now of an amazing, amazing generosity in this church. Proportional to the, the income. Just incredible. It's so exciting. But God doesn't say you, He wants you to give out what you do not have. He just says, proportionately in terms of what you do have, be generous with what you do have. Go on. Yes? And it should be private. I love uh, Matthew, Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites who stand in front of the street corners so everyone can see them and say, oh, what spiritual people, they're praying. No, when you pray, go behind your upper room, lock the door. No one can see you. Pray to your Father in heaven. When you give, what does it say? Given away that your right hand doesn't know what your left hand is doing. That's not obvious to everybody what you're giving. You just be generous. When you fast. <laughs> I was just chuckling this week. Uh, showing Helen on Instagram. Do you notice all the celebrities with um, ash crosses on their head? Did you notice that on Instagram? Was it just me? Yeah? Well, you know, it's Lent now, so... Traditional Christians will celebrate Lent. And it's so contrary to what the Bible says. The Bible says, when you fast, wash your face, <laughs> get out of bed, clothe yourself so that no one knows you are fasting and your Father who knows what you do in secret will reward you. Come on. So you want, we want everyone to see how spiritual we are, how we pray, how we give how we fast. And Jesus is much more important than what is unseen that's happening on the inside. And so that's what Corinthians 16 encourages us to do. Regular giving, planned giving, proportional giving. Do it in private. And God wants us to give sacrificially as well to the kingdom. And that's why it's not really helpful to get focused on this thing of a percentage. Uh, let me land now 
before I give our financial. Are you still? Are you still okay, guys? You still? Um, okay, good. Two Corinthians chapter eight. Look what Paul says. Two Corinthians chapter eight, verse one to five. I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. There it is again. Giving in the God's kingdom is about understanding His grace, about the grace of God that has been given amongst the churches of Macedonia for in their severe test of affliction. In other words, it was tough for these guys, man. It was tough for them. In the abundance of joy and the extreme poverty, they weren't wealthy, has overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Isn't that beautiful? These people that didn't have much were incredibly generous, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and, he adds, beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God, also to us. And you see, that's how it is in the kingdom. We, we do things for God. But we also do things because we want to honor his people. We want to help be helpful to God's people. So it's honoring God, and it's also honoring his church and what he does through his church. And so that's why Acts 4.34 says that in the early church there was no needy person amongst them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold to the apostles. Um, and then 1 Corinthians 16, Paul again speaks of Christians giving as they prosper. In other words, again, according to, to, to how God has blessed them. And so our prayer really should be, Lord, all that I have is yours. Please guide me to give cheerfully and sacrificially for your glory. Amen. That sums up New Testament giving. <laughs> Lord, how much should I give? Well, everything is yours, Lord. I'm going to give as much as I can, cheerfully and sacrificially. So then, I want to ask us all to consider this morning our time, our talent, our treasure, and who's the owner of our time, our talent, and our treasure. And all of us should be asking, how am I using my possessions who is setting the schedule and determining what I do with what I have. And I want to encourage all of us that as Christians we give faithfully when we give cheerfully and sacrificially to the glory of God. Amen? Right. There ends the first portion of what I'd like to say to you. So we're going to wave to the guys online. You can share this to me. I'm just going to say goodbye to people. You can. Okay. All right. And then we'll say goodbye to you, right? After that. I just, um, yeah, I'd, lo I'd love to just share a, a testimony from our lives. Um, I, I grew up in a, a lovely little Anglican church in a small industrial town. And I remember as a child, um, the minister got up one Sunday morning and he had 10 apples. And I'm sorry I don't have 10 apples, but he had them all on the on the on the lectern on the pulpit and he said he said I want you to think of giving like this and he took one apple and he said now that apple you give to the Lord and you've got nine other apples to do with what you want to do with and that always stuck with me as a little child. It was a picture of, of giving, but specifically as a tithe. And I, 
I just like, that always stuck with me. I've got nine apples to live with, and one of those apples goes to the Lord. And so from the point, from the moment I, I graduated from university and from my first job at 21 until today, and I would say it's the same for Ant, we've always given one apple to the Lord, and we've always lived on nine apples. And it's just been such an amazing thing for us because... I can tell you we've been through really tough times when we haven't had a lot of money at all. But the one thing that we've just settled in our hearts and never, ever compromise on was giving God that apple. And it's, uh, I love how the Bible says, it says, give him the first fruits, um, not the leftover fruits. So it's not the half-chewed apple with a few bites out of it. Oh, okay, God, you can have that bit. No, we give him the first apple uh, that comes out and we give it to him faithfully. And, um, you know, I just think it's so wonderful to give that apple to the storehouse, the, the way, where God is um, blessing you and where your spiritual home is. Give that apple there. And I, when we, we, we lead this church and we give every month, but that's not because, uh, that's why I'm saying you're not giving to Anton Helen. You're giving to the Lord. It's the Lord's apple. Because don't, if you think it's, oh, I'm giving to people, then don't think like that. Think this is the Lord's apple. This is the Lord's portion. His first, the first fruits of what I have, and I'm being faithful to Him. And uh, so I really just want to say, and, and said that thing about fear. Um, you know where it says in the. Um, and that passage in Malachi says, test me and see what I will do. And I know when Jesus was tested in the, de in the desert, he said to Satan, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And yet here in Malachi is the one part in scripture where it says, you can test the Lord in this. And I've seen in my life, you cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive him. There's been times when we've been so like, oh, this is a very bad month, but we will not, will not, will not compromise on that apple. We will not. And that's been our testimony since I was 21 and I'm 55 next month. And we have never gone without because God is faithful. You cannot outgive God. And maybe there's something you need to settle in your heart about um, what uh, I don't know how much of an apple you want to give God, but that's what I learned as a young child. But I just, um, yeah, I just want to say maybe there's something in your heart you want to settle with your Lord. It's not about giving to any person. It's saying, Lord, thank you for the, these 10 apples. Um, sometimes it feels like there's not enough apples to go around, but I'm going to trust you as I give you my one of my apples, I'm going to trust that you will make everything abound to what I need for my life and my family and that I can be generous. So is that, I'm just sharing that's our story and God has been faithful to us. Thank you.